Welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host, DJ Stavropoulos, just one of thousands of background actors here in Atlanta, Georgia. What makes me different? I'm thinking about the experience, I'm writing things down, and I'm telling you about it so you can benefit from what I've learned. I've done just over 30 projects in my first year, including a two-month stint in a COVID-free bubble for a Netflix movie, so I think I have something valuable to share with anyone who's interested in listening, especially if you're brand new to all this. Nobody wants to fumble their way through a brand new experience. Think of this podcast as your training wheels, just enough information to get started so you don't crash right out of the gate. If you haven't listened to the prior episodes, I hope you will, but here's where we are. You found some gigs and applied. You were chosen. You went to a fitting and got a COVID test. Now comes the big day, the work itself. Here are the eight things I'm going to cover in this episode. One, arriving and signing in. Two, wardrobe. Three, hair and makeup. Four, props. Five, holding. Six, crafty and meals. Seven, filming. And eight, wrapping up at the end of the day. We'll get started after the break. Part one, arriving and signing in. As I mentioned in the last episode, the night before the job, you'll most likely get an email with all of the final details, the call time, the exact address, and any special reminders about what to bring and where to go once you get there. Note that there are typically two types of sets. You're either at a studio filming on a soundstage or you're out in the real world filming at a location that's potentially modified for the filming. More on this in a future episode. When you do arrive, you'll typically park your car and walk to background holding or be shuttled there. The first step is to check in. There will be a PA there, short for production assistant, to check you in and tell you where to go next. They may take your phone away or lock it up and hand it to you or put tape over the camera lens. There will be lots of PAs running around. One of them is ultimately responsible for all the background, so know who that is. They're your point person for everything and can answer questions and tell you what you need to know. Make sure you get their name so you can use it. If you have to run to the bathroom and aren't sure if there's time, always ask. If it's your first time working on the production, you'll likely have to fill out paperwork if you haven't already done this. Most of it has to do with taxes, so review everything they send you in advance to make sure you bring what's needed. This will be correct forms of identification, which they'll look at and possibly expect you to bring photocopies of. Make sure you review all sides of all the paperwork thoroughly. It's a pain to fill out and sometimes I've rushed through it only to have them tell me I completely missed an entire form. If you're lucky, they will have highlighted all the sections you need to fill in. You're going to be asked about tax exemptions for both federal and state filing, so it's best to know these answered in advance so you can just fill them in. I'm never in a state to review tax worksheets and calculate this on the spot. I think most companies will not let you work if you cannot complete the paperwork and provide the required identification. Bringing your passport is the easiest because it's just one thing. Otherwise, you'll probably need two forms of identification, such as a license and a social security card. Read the paperwork they send you. This tax withholding part is really great because they're basically withholding taxes for you, even though you're not really an employee of theirs. I sell real estate as my real job, and my brokerage doesn't even do this for me. Central Casting has you complete this paperwork just once up front so that any central casting jobs you get don't require you to fill out any paperwork. It's great. 
Once this is done, you'll most likely head to wardrobe. I'll cover that after the break. Part two is all about wardrobe. As I mentioned in a prior episode, many productions call you in for a fitting before the day of the shoot. If this is the case, then you'll arrive on set either ready to get dressed in what they're giving you, or you're bringing improved clothing of your own to change into. I didn't mention this earlier, but some productions don't do fittings in advance at all. I just got booked on First Wives Club season two. It's in four days. Not only do I not know what role I'm playing, but I don't know what I'm supposed to wear. Once they decide who I'm going to be, they'll tell me what to bring, most likely the night before at 10 p.m., which won't give me much time to prepare. All that aside, the wardrobe step serves one purpose, to get you dressed in what you'll be wearing for the shoot. It's something you do at the start and end of each day on set. You may be asked to modify your look partway through the day or change the outfit entirely to become a completely different person. This is probably more common with COVID, since instead of hiring, say, 200 background for a scene, they may hire just 50 and change their looks to make them appear to be 200 different people. It's logistically a bit more complicated, but in the end, they have to deal with a smaller group of people. This happened on Red Notice, where in one scene I had four different looks, which I changed between depending on what part of the scenes they were filming. You'll typically get in a wardrobe line to check in. They'll give you your stuff, you'll put your street clothing in a garment bag, and you'll be on your way. There are usually large changing tents available, which may or not may not be shared. With COVID, they're likely to have you change one at a time, but you should still wear underwear. The changing tents have zippered closures, but they don't always stay shut. We got so tired of waiting for tents on red notice that the guys would basically crowd around each other and undress by the clothing racks because, hey, we're guys and we don't care. I think some of the women may have secretly loved this. That's about it. After the break, I'll talk about hair and makeup, which usually comes next. Next is hair and makeup, which can be shortened to H-A-M-U, or HAMU for short. This can run the gamut from absolutely nothing to a full-blown production that can take 30 minutes or more to do. For background actors, many productions will tell you how to arrive and use the term, quote, hair and makeup ready, unquote, to mean arrive on the set ready to go. Of course, they'll tell you in advance what to do and give you pictures to guide you. That means each of you is not going to sit in a makeup chair and have hair and makeup do anything to you. They'll probably just approve what you've done to yourself. The pro to this is you arrive ready. The con is that you have more work to do before you get there. It's basically them delegating part of the work to you with the expectation that you're qualified enough to do it yourself, but not everyone is. Another option is for each person to go through hair and makeup. I've been on a number of period projects where women were asked to roll their hair in curlers overnight so they'd arrive with their hair partially done and then hammer would finish the job. I've seen men with long hair have it put up in a bun to hide it. I've seen women have their hair teased to high heaven and carefully folded into a French braid or chignon. I'm not sure what this is, but it's French for something you can Google. C-H-I-G-N-O-N. I've been a soldier who had fake dirt put all over his face and hands, and on one job, for which I body doubled, I had to wear a wig, have a fake earring inserted, and have my facial hair painted darker every day. 
The most complicated messy makeup I've encountered is having gashes and fake blood all over my face and head. It took a good half hour to apply, and at the end of the night, when we were all exhausted and wanted to go home, it took another 30 minutes to get it all off. So you may get very excited at first at the thought of being transformed this way, but remember, what goes on has to come off. We were given cups of oil and shaving cream to basically clean ourselves up, and it was not an easy or fun task. I'm not a hammo expert by any means. Depending on how much work there is to do, there will be just a few or many hammo staff with a set of chairs and makeup tables ready to do this work. They typically will also be on set for any last minute fixes or adjustments if anyone's hair or makeup goes awry during the day, but they're typically focused on making the main characters look perfect. This is called last looks. After the break, I'll talk about props. Part four, props. Props are basically anything additional that's either on you or that you're carrying in a scene. The industry is very departmentalized so that there will be a prop department who's responsible for all of this. On Suicide Squad, after we dress in our soldier getup, props would give us vests and belts and then guns. The guns took forever. There were real guns and rubber guns. The real guns were for people who went through gun training. The lines were long and easily added 30 to 45 minutes to the schedule. You had to turn in your ID to get a gun and then got it back at the end of the day. After doing this for three weeks, they finally figured out a more efficient system of making this run more smoothly. So know that props can be messy, inefficient, and time consuming. On Queen of Soul, in one scene, we all wore very expensive eyewear, which was supplied by props. We had to return it between every scene because I didn't want anyone accidentally walking away with it. On Red Notice, I had a fancy watch, but we also had drinks, which were props. These are probably the most difficult to manage. They'll typically have a table whose top is a grid with numbers. You take a drink and remember your number so that you know where to put the drink once you're done. And then you pick up the same drink the next time it's needed. If you're shooting a scene over several days, you have to remember to use the same drink. They use grape juice as a substitute for both red and white wine. It smells really good. And you might be tempted, but don't drink it because it's probably been sitting around collecting dust for days. The hardest thing to do is to fake drink wine because if you tilt the glass too much, the grape juice will touch your lips. So be careful. I've also had fake museum tour technology strapped around my neck for museum scenes. You know those things you get and listen to as you're looking at the exhibits? One time it was actually some type of real gaming device and they told us to not turn it on. Of course people did. Again, it's one more thing to have to get, worry about, and then return at the end of the day. Plus, with a KN95 mask on, getting the straps of it caught in the earbuds wiring was a real pain, especially when you're trying to pull that mask off quickly before the cameras start to roll. On DMZ, we had suitcases to carry around all day. That was not fun. Fortunately, they were empty because chasing after bus and screaming all day with a full suitcase would have been unbearable. On the resident, if you're a doctor, you may get to wear a stethoscope. If you're a patient, you get an ID bracelet. If you're a visitor, you get a badge with a fake name on it, and that's your fake ID for the day. That's it for props. After the break, I'll talk about holding. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. 
There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Part five, holding. Once you're dressed and ready to go, you'll typically sit in what they call holding. Holding is just an area where background waits until the scene requires them. Think of it as a holding pen where they hold people, in this case, background actors, until they're needed. Many productions have a large holding area for all background. Sometimes this is inside, but often it's outside in a big tent in a parking lot. So it could be a cold environment. Be prepared. There can also be multiple holding areas. The main holding area I just described, but also a secondary area inside a soundstage just outside the set itself. This allows the crew to keep you close by when you're filming, but then send you back to the main holding area to wait if you won't be filming for hours. You typically can leave all your stuff at the main holding area, but when they take you to holding on set, you bring as little as possible because there's no place to put it. So keep this in mind. They'll let you know what you can and cannot bring with you. Keep it simple and limit it to what fits in your pockets, a purse, or maybe a very small cinch sack. Leave your camping chair, blanket, and whatever else you brought with you in the main holding area. It's a pretty trusting environment, and I've never had anything stolen. Holding can be extremely boring, and this is probably the biggest surprise and number one complaint. Yeah, it all looks very glamorous on the red carpet, but in reality, it's a lot of sitting around and waiting. So you should bring things to keep you occupied. Music, books, magazines, podcasts, whatever. Some environments will be conducive to chatting, so you could make new friends and hang out together. If I have my phone on me, I typically listen to podcasts. I can't usually read because a lot of holding areas are just too dark. If you're out in a parking lot, you may have other options. One of the Red Notice people, whose name begins with Z, used to bring puzzles and games as well as her rollerblades, which she'd ride on in the parking lot. I was envious because mine were at home in the garage. She also brought in a burn machine, which I tried one day, and it really killed my arms, although I wasn't sore at all the next day. I could never figure that out. All this talking is making me hungry. How about you? After the break, I'll discuss meals and snacks, which the industry calls crafty. Part six, let's talk about meals and crafty. We all know what a meal is. I believe the term crafty is a nickname for craft services. Productions will typically provide at least one meal depending on how long the shoot is. I don't know what the rules are around this and I have friends who know all the SAG or Screen Actors Guild rules, but Georgia is a right to work state, so I don't believe these apply, which I think means they'll feed you when they feed you. Here's what I've observed. If you get breakfast, it will be most likely when you arrive. Lunch is based on the cruise schedule, maybe six to eight hours after they arrive. It's not based on when background arrives. So some people like to ask what the crew's start time is so they can estimate when background will be fed lunch. Crew typically always eats before background and don't think that lunch means 12 noon. Lunch can be at 4 p.m. Dinner is rare unless you've been there a really long time or it's a night shoot. More on these later. 
There's also typically a strict class system when it comes to food. In other words, not everyone gets the same food. The actors and crew get certain food, and then background gets something else. I had no idea this was true, but learned it on Doom Patrol. On my first day, I was a few hours late, and all the background was eating, so I approached the huge buffet and got myself some food. It wasn't until a few days later that someone told us it was time to eat, and everyone ran outside even though this huge buffet was set up inside. I suddenly realized that I had eaten the wrong food a few days prior, and that the background food was outside in a white tent. Oops. Well, no one slapped my hand that time, but it does happen a lot. On Suicide Squad, the background were not allowed fruit smoothies at breakfast. So one day I got a smoothie and then saw a colleague of mine be told she couldn't have one. I realized that because I hadn't yet changed into my army fatigues, the smoothie person had no idea I was background. Yay for me! I think I may have tried that at least one more time. Know that the buffets of yesteryear are all but gone due to COVID. Instead, you'll most likely get something in a package or bag so that contact with other humans has been minimized. The word crafty is what they call snacks. These are available throughout the day and can be anything from bags of chips to really expensive protein bars along with soft drinks, coffee, and lots of water. It all varies based on the production, and people who have worked specific jobs will know if the crafty is good or bad. The same hierarchy rules apply to crafty on many sets, so make sure you know which snacks are designated for background. On the first day of Red Notice, I was astounded at the array of food available for us to snack on, but then they pointed to which table we couldn't feed from. We couldn't have Gatorade until the very last few days when they were trying to get rid of it. Because of my keto diet, I was even more limited. I became a huge fan of veggie straws and Gatorade Zero when it was allowed. If you need coffee, I would bring my own. There's no consistency in how and when this is available on set. I need two cups at 12 noon or else I'm cranky for the rest of the day. And due to COVID, you can no longer get the crafty food yourself. Someone will be manning the table and hand it to you after you tell them what you want. After the break, I'll talk about filming the scene itself. Welcome back. Let's talk about the actual filming. I mean, that's the whole reason you're there, right? Once the scene is set up, the PAs will have a sense of what it looks like, where they want to use background actors, and what they want them to do. Not every scene will use all background, so just because you were one of 50 people picked, you may be used in all of the scenes or may not be used at all. This happened to me on my first day on Ozark. It occurred to me that if I didn't volunteer the next time they asked for someone to do something, I might have been sitting there forever. That's how I got to drive my car to the parking lot. Let's talk about the terminology used on set. I'm going to cover just a few here and may dedicate an entire episode to the words used on set and what they mean. Here are the basics you need to get started. Your mark is where you're starting from. The production assistants will tell you where you need to be at the start of the scene. The word background will usually be shouted out loud when the scene starts, and it's your cue to start doing whatever it is you're doing. This is always called out before they yell action, which is the cue for the main actors. The reason you start moving first is it creates some motion before the actors move in the event there's any delay in your moving and or they have to edit the scene. If everyone started moving at the same time, there would invariably be background people who were standing still when the actors started, which would ruin the scene. 
Think of it as a front-end buffer a few seconds long before the main action starts. Cut obviously means stop what you're doing. Reset means go back to your mark or whatever, wherever they last started filming. Still rolling means they're not officially cutting, but will start filming again very quickly. So everything that needs to be ready is still ready. Think of it as a partial cut. You're stopping what you're doing, but you're going to restart it very quickly because everything is still on, like lighting and sound, etc. Crossing is a term that basically means walk through the scene. Most background will either be standing still somewhere or walking through a scene around the actors. Actually, you could be asked to run from a bomb as well. That's when I learned to not wear my wingtips to a museum because I might be running in them for hours and hours and hours until my legs felt like rubber and then do it all over again the next day. They didn't tell me I'd be running, so I learned once again that comfortable shoes are the most important thing in your wardrobe. Sometimes crossing involves walking a straight line. Sometimes you walk in a big arc, which they call a banana. Since background actors never have lines, you won't ever be speaking any lines. Most productions will ask you to pantomime, which is a fancy word for fake talking. Like those black and white French mimes who get stuck in a glass box and can't get out. You move your lips and pretend you're talking, but no sound comes out. This can be very odd with other background actors because you're literally having a fake conversation with someone. You have no idea what words they're mouthing and neither do they of you. Unless you can read lips, of course. Sometimes when they're not recording sound for scene, they may tell you it's okay to talk, in which case you can. I learned the hard way how quiet you need to be on the set of Dynasty. My fake date insisted on whispering to me instead of pantomiming. The main character stopped in the middle of an emotional scene and began yelling that he couldn't concentrate because all he could hear was pss, 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 pss. The director came over and told us very sternly that we need to be absolutely quiet. It was so embarrassing. I blame Deborah, but in all honesty, I was whispering back to her too. Never again. As you can imagine, there are lots and lots of people on set and the noise level can quickly get out of control. There are lots of moving parts and the crew needs to be able to communicate with each other very clearly. When you throw in 25 background actors, they'll invariably want to start chatting every time they hear the word cut. Be very mindful when they tell you not to talk. You'll hear it all day long. Humans have an inherent need to strike up a conversation whenever they can. It only seems polite to make small talk with whomever you're standing with. Just be aware that you'll be told again and again to be quiet. It's a really tough thing for production assistants to get you to do, but noise gets in the way of them doing their jobs. <clears throat> Finally, filming is not done sequentially. The scenes are out of order, and you will likely film the same scene several times. Each time is usually from a different angle with a different camera. Then they basically put it all together. To help the crew out, remember what you did, where, and when. When you do the second shot of a scene, it's going to be doing the same thing, but it may start 10 seconds into the scene. Or the camera now may be where you were standing the first time they shot it. So they'll have to cheat the shot or put you somewhere else. Cheating is basically moving you or something in the scene to fit, even though it's not exactly where it was in prior shots. Back to filming non-sequentially. If it's a multi-day shot, you may be going back to reshoot a scene you shot a few days ago. They'll describe the scene to you and attempt to recreate it, which can be difficult. The word continuity refers to making it appear as if the scene was filmed all at the same time so that everyone looks exactly the same and there's nothing happening that doesn't make sense. 
For example, if they shoot you in scene two today, and then tomorrow you shave your head and they shoot the rest of scene two, it's not going to be continuous because your hair will be completely different. This is an extreme example, but it makes my point. My final point here is to listen attentively and pay attention to directions. You'll be told by many different people what to do and when, so make sure you're not busy talking to someone and miss this. And just to warn you, sometimes you'll be told one thing by a PA and then something completely different by someone else. Things aren't always in sync, so just let them know someone else gave you different orders. They'll figure it out. After the break, what happens at the end of the day? Part eight, when you're all done. Okay, let me tell you what happens when you're done shooting. As I've said before, you never know how long the day is going to be because things can get off schedule and the production assistants may not know and if anyone has a clue, they're probably not going to tell you so that you don't get your hopes up. I've always loved working on The Resident because I'm in at 8 a.m. and always done by two. That's a really short day. When you're done filming, they'll tell you either it's a wrap, which means they're done, or that you're wrapped, which means you're done for the day. Not all background will necessarily be done at the same time. On red notice during my body doubling, there were days I sat for eight hours and was never filmed and then wrapped at 5 p.m. while everyone else stayed until seven. At first I felt bad about leaving early, but then I felt I deserved it for having to sit there all day long in that hot, itchy wig. You may hear the term martini shot, which refers to the last shot of the day. So that's an indicator that you're almost done, but done could still be two hours away. When you're done, you basically reverse the process you executed when you got there, most likely in reverse order. You change out of your clothes, you have hair and makeup undo you if needed. You sign out with a production assistant if they're still doing that manually. Many projects now do this electronically, so waiting in a line is no longer needed. In the past, a PA would have to sign a voucher and record your time out so they could accurately calculate how many hours you worked and any bumps you were owed. If I didn't mention this earlier, a bump is a bonus you get paid for doing something extra, like driving your car in a scene, inhaling atmospheric smoke, wearing an uncomfortable mask, or volunteering to get shot with a fire hose. Most of the time, this is specified up front when you accept the job, but I've been on projects that spontaneously ask people to do things and quote a bump on the spot. Finally, you'll leave and perhaps take a shuttle back to where your car is parked and be done for the day. Just a quick note that projects that use electronic vouchers will likely text and or email you this for approval before submitting. And then you typically get a check anywhere from two to six weeks later. Yes, that's a long time to wait. I keep a spreadsheet of each job I work, so I have all the details and can anticipate how much I'll get based on the actual hours worked. After the break, I'll recap today's episode. Here's a recap of today's episode. You arrive on set and check in. You go through wardrobe, hair and makeup, and possibly props. You sit in holding until they're ready to shoot the scenes that require background. You go to Crafty to get snacks when they tell you that you can. You have a meal or two at some point. You shoot the scenes with direction from multiple production assistants, assistant directors, and the director on the set. 
You try to keep quiet so the crew can hear each other. You meet other background people, talk about the work itself, and get insight into who they are and why they do this work. And when you're done, you reverse the morning process, check out, and go home. That could be 5 hours, or 12 hours, or 16 hours later. Not bad for your first day, don't you think? This is a general description of how it all works, and your experience can certainly be different. I do hope this was helpful in preparing you for your first job, or refreshing your memory if it's been a while. You'll learn firsthand from the experiences themselves the more background jobs you work. It's an incremental learning process. It becomes second nature after a while, and soon you're able to do it in your sleep. I don't mean literally, since you can't really act and sleep at the same time. Which reminds me, I forgot to mention that sometimes the wait in holding is so long and boring, or the call time so early that people take naps, and then someone has to wake them up. It can be very awkward waking up a complete stranger. That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of The Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG rules of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode, or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out, and if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.